Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 176 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today, we are continuing with our series of Q&A episodes that we've been sprinkling in over the last month or so, and trying to cover all of your burning questions. So today will be more of the miscellaneous grab bag of everything that didn't fit into episode 170, which was all things keto Q&A, or episode 172, which was all things hormones Q&A. Totally. And uh, we were almost going to make like a all things kids, all things immune, and then it just got out of hand. So yep. this is called <laughs> grab bag Q&A. And we tried to kind of cherry pick a lot of different fun topics from microwaves to immunizations and so much more. So buckle up. It's going to be a fun one and kind of all over the map. And then um, we'll get right back to scheduled programming next week. Yes. So before we jump in, let's just give listeners a couple of updates. We've got some fun stuff on the horizon with our event in Atlanta coming in April. Absolutely. So I'm super excited now that I've kind of had the month of December and January and almost all of February under my belt of reset from book tour in the fall. Uh, I am getting excited for all sorts of events coming in the spring and summer. So um, definitely go on over to AllieMillerRD.com slash events. We'll start to be uploading things over the next couple weeks um, from KetoCon to FitCon to the Minneapolis Minnesota Ketonians Uh, and so much more. Uh, So definitely check that out. But one that we're super excited about that we are throwing is called The Art of Food as Medicine. And this is going to be in Atlanta at the Little Tree Art Studios owned by a podcast listener. Hey, Margie. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> um, and uh, she has a fantastic, beautiful space um, right outside of Atlanta, and we are going to have so much fun there. So it's mimicking a little bit of a play off of last year's Food as Medicine at the Farm, which was also in April, the weekend of Paleo FX. Um, but this will be incorporating more artistic expression. We're going to be doing um, some in uh, the day of, we're going to be doing some screen printing on tote bags. We are having a butchery demo and the butcher's going to be breaking down a whole hog and uh, raffling off the parts. We're going to be smoking meat. Um, so there will be protein incorporated within your ticket. Uh, We're serving some recipes from the Anti-Anxiety Diet Cookbook. We have a bone brothery, a fermentation station, the most delectable medicinal sips and spread station by Goddess Ghee, which is like so dreamy. You guys just check them out and check out their website. It's beautiful stuff. Um, But we have such awesome partners that we can't wait to share with all you guys and a full layout of 
just what's going to be an awesome event. Um, so tickets we're going to have up to sale pretty soon. Keep your eyes out. And um, this is going to launch on the 22nd. So yeah, by this the time that this uh, airs, you will be able to get tickets this week. And tickets are $40. And um, the event will be about three and, a, three and a half hours. It'll have a lecture that I'll do. We'll do a panel with the other um, artisans. And um, we can't wait. Yes. So if you're in Atlanta or driving distance, or you want to make a trip to Atlanta, totally worth the $40 ticket. I don't think we're doing anything before paleo effects or keto con as far as I right. know. So this is kind of your shot to get a taste of that this, this year. This will be our epic, our epic yes. food as medicine event of the year. Yes. yes. Our, our wedding planning. Um, yes. We can only do one a year. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. but, but we're getting super stoked that so we hope we can uh, see a lot of you there. Awesome. And then in the world of supplements, we've got a couple of new products that we've added to our line just as we're preparing the website for relaunch. We're kind of assessing our current product line, looking for holes, looking for things that you guys are asking for. So we're pretty excited about Thyroid Optimizer. Yes. Um, you want to talk about it? Sure, sure, sure. So it is a formula that incorporates uh, vitamin A as well as some B vitamins and minerals, um, minerals including iodine, which is the primary mineral that is used to actually make thyroid hormone in the form of potassium iodine, which aids with that um, ability to absorb. And iodine is paired with tyrosine, an amino acid in the form of N-acetyltyrosine in our formula, another bioavailable form of this amino acid. So when tyrosine and iodine come together, thyroxine or your thyroid hormone is born. And so you get both of these active players in this formula, as well as the other key minerals, zinc, selenium, all in their most bioavailable chelated or methylated form. So it's selenomethionine, um, zinc as a bisglycinate chelate, copper, manganese, chromium. A lot of these uh, minerals play a role in activating that inactive T4 into the form of T3, which is the active kind of gas pedal on your metabolism. And these minerals also play a role with blood sugar metabolism, with energy. Uh, and then this formula has two herbs. It has American ginseng, which aids in cortisol metabolism, lowering excessive levels of insulin and glucose, supporting stress resilience and energy boost, and then overall regulating that HPA axis so the thyroid can function more appropriately, as well as Force colon, which is an extract from an Indian plant that has been shown in research to reduce uh, visceral adipose tissue, so the fat that's closest to your organs, um, also boosting hormone production for testosterone levels, um, and aiding in body fat metabolism overall and thyroid hormone output. So it's a multifactorial formula, the thyroid optimizer. It includes minerals, vitamins, amino acid focus, and herbs all to support thyroid hormone production and activation. Super, super excited. I'm already recommending this to a ton of clients where prior I was like piecemealing together um, something yeah. to incorporate all of these things. Let's just run down a little bit of the FAQ on the products because I know we're getting a lot of questions already. And this is an area with our new website guys that we are really drilling down on and trying to do a ton of research on the supplements in our line and just provide this all in one place. So definitely stay tuned for that. Um, yes. But 
Let's just go over some of the questions we've gotten so far. So first of all, can I take this with my thyroid prescription? And the answer is yes. So this formula would work really well in conjunction with Synthroid, Armor Thyroid, Nature Thyroid. So whether it's a synthetic T4, um, whether it is a synthetic T3 like Cytomel, or whether it is a uh, glandular formula like Armor or Nature Thyroid, it could be appropriate with all of those. However, because there are minerals in this formula and some herbs, I do suggest waiting four hours from after you've taken your thyroid medication. So generally that's at rise. So this is one capsule twice daily with food. So you would wait to take this until like your noon meal and your evening meal. Got it. And then I think I've seen the question too, should I take this instead of my thyroid hormone prescription? So let's just address that real quick too. Well, the formula may reduce your uh, dosage or dependency completely on thyroid medication, but always get into an optimized thrive mode before you consider pulling out a leg of the stool, right? So you may decide that after three months of use, you want to retest your thyroid hormone and definitely watch for symptoms of hyperthyroidism, which would mean like um, high energy levels, uh, sleep interference, um, loose stool, and, and rapid weight loss. Um, so if you're starting to see some of that stuff, you could definitely go get your thyroid tested and see if it would be appropriate to reduce your dosage. And definitely we have seen that clinically already, um, but I would not preemptively do this as a replacement. Okay. Glad we clarified that for sure. Yeah. Um, can I take this if I have hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's? Yes, this would be appropriate for both because it supports thyroid hormone production and activation. So hypothyroid means you don't have enough circulating thyroid hormone out there. So fantastic. And then Hashimoto's often runs hypothyroid and there's more of that inflammation in the gland. So optimizing these minerals and these herbs that support the stress, reduce the oxidative stress in the body, and that'd be very uh, therapeutic for Hashi as well. Totally. Um, and then last but not least, can I take with Graves' disease or hyperthyroid? And this is the one I would say no, um, because this does, again, increase the production and activation in those states. Um, we're trying to reduce the overactivity of the gland. We're not looking to stimulate the output of the gland. So that population that runs hyperthyroidism, definitely this would not be a good fit. Okay. Awesome. Um, and then the other supplement that we're adding to the line, I know Stella is particularly <laughs> excited about. Oh, totally. Yes. The kids biotic. Yes. So this is a chewable probiotic that has a blend of lactobacillus acidophilus and bifidobacterium lactis. So that 50-50 blend of that lactobifido, like I talk about in our restore baseline probiotic, and then in the quadruple hit of the targeted strength probiotic. Um, it is chewable grape flavor. It's fantastic tasting. I have yet to meet a kiddo that does not like this one. Unlike the multi-avail kids, which is a fantastic multivitamin, but does have that, you know, real mineral <laughs> taste. This is fantastic tasting. It um, supports the immune system, concentration, mood stability, because those are the two primary players, remember, that support um, probacteria to really function as like nature's Prozac. So this is one of the best things that you can start your kids on if you're dealing with tantrums or you're dealing with moodiness or you're dealing with anger and trying to build empathy and gentleness. This can really help with that function as well as during this time as we're getting off the cuff of 
cold and flu and immune. Um, two chews a day provides that 10 billion colony forming units. It's bar none going to be hands down better than you'll get anything off the counter for kids, which usually is less than 1 billion yeah. CFUs. <laughs> yeah. And then you could go up to four chews if you have acute time of need, like if the child was on an antibiotic um, or you know had another immune stress, that would be a time to, to pulse this up. But two chews a day is the recommended dosage. And you can start as early as it is safe to chew and swallow. So the bottle will say three, but you make that own decision. A lot of parents feel comfortable at age two, right away providing for their child or just cutting it in half. It's, it's a pretty small size chewable tablet. Yeah. It could even be crushed and mixed with like a spoonful of something they're eating probably. Most definitely could. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Um, so I'll link to both of those new products in the show notes, go on over and check them out, see if they're right for you. Um, let's, before we dig into questions for today, just have a quick word from our opening sponsor for today's episode, Further Food. Yes, you all know that I love Further Food because their products are the highest quality collagen, gelatin, and they provide some pretty rad health tonic products as well. Um, I have fully transitioned to using only their collagen and gelatin because of their transparency and their quality control. Their sources are grass-fed, pasture-raised, and wild-caught when we're talking about their wild-cod collagen for those pescatarian uh, listeners. Everything is non-GMO, hormone-free, and antibiotic-free. And I love that they offer really a broad community, uh, functional medicine doctors, nutritionists, and health heroes. And they're constantly sharing recipes, expertise and really working to provide a community to support this food as medicine mission. I use their gelatin in so many applications, especially in the anti-anxiety diet cookbook from my avocado pudding to my matcha gelatin um, lime blackberry pudding. I use it in my low carb chocolate chip cookies. It gives a really nice chewy feel. I uh, snagged that from uh, my friend, Christina Kirk. Um, and uh, collagen is so much more flexible even so. You can use this in hot or cold applications. So I'm daily getting at least a scoop or two of collagen and then incorporating gelatin into those baked goods, puddings, gummies. All of these really work for connective tissues, so great support for leaky gut, great support for hair, skin, and nails, and um, a great way to boost your protein intake. So go on over to furtherfood.com, put in the code AllieMillerRD at checkout, and you will get 10% off. Again, it's furtherfood.com, put in the code AllieMillerRD at checkout. Yes, I just used their gelatin in the um, St. Germain gummies that I posted on the blog this past week. And Byron says they're the best gummies that we've made so far. I don't know if that has to do with us having booze in them or what. <laughs> like, I need to try them. Don't eat a whole bunch of those like out the door on your way to work or whatever. I mean, <laughs> it's not equivalent to a cocktail, but... Kind of performance review. <laughs> exactly. Better with a glass of champagne or something. Yes, totally. All right. Awesome. Um, so let's jump into it. We'll start off with some questions. Of course, we got a lot about kiddos just because I know people, you know, want to see what you're doing with Stella and, and what you recommend as she grows. So we'll start with this one from KMorrow12. What do you recommend for introducing foods to baby as well as diet for little ones? 
All right. So there's a couple resources for you out there already. Uh, one is episode 55, which is, I believe, just titled like breastfeeding um, or breast milk, nature's perfect food. Um, in that episode, I talk all about the signs of readiness and, you know, what Stella's first foods were. So to be fair, episode 55 is probably my freshest recall. <laughs> like more real time. And then episode 88 um, is called Nourishing Your Toddler. And that's when I talk about Stella's second birthday. And so talking about kind of food jags and no naked carbs and a lot of my philosophies that I'm talking about on Instagram as well. And then what's the name of episode 124, Becky? I saw you note that. I um, did just note it. Um, I can certainly Was that the one on? we're um, talking. It was on like conscious parenting or no? No, that was even more recent. No, that was more recent. I think 124 was, no, not nourishing your toddler because that's what we called this one. Um, I will look it up while we're- I'll let you look it up. I'll talking. keep talking. Yep. So what I recommend in general though, aside from those podcast episodes that you can go listen to, be mindful that every child is different. So, you know, don't be married to one eating approach or another, but be familiar with what options are out there for you. So, you know, one child may do really well with baby led weaning. And that's generally what I recommend um, because baby led weaning is a great way to allow the child's readiness to propel or advance their dietary intake because they're ultimately fully in charge. You know, they're literally picking things up, putting it in their mouth. They're deciding the pace. They're deciding, you know, how they work with their oral cavity. And um, they're really more experiential on a flavor profile because it tends to be more single ingredient foods in the beginning versus like purees, which are mixes. But again, one child's baby led weaning might be another sibling's um, success with purees and, and that could be okay and can still be nutrient dense and whole food. Um, but I do like baby led weaning because the chewing process also increases enzyme production, which should reduce food sensitivity, food allergy and intolerance. Um, and also give again that slower, steady release of the nutrients as opposed to like a puree, which can provide a more dynamic blood sugar spike and or crash. Uh, I, tarted, I started Stella at six months plus um, with her first solid. Um, of course, she could hold up her head. She um, had her pincer grip going and all of the things. We talk about those mechanics again in episode 55. Um, but I started her with avocado and let her um, really stay exclusively breastfed as she stumbled for two to three weeks with avocado. <laughs> so it was a lot of like picking up and pinching and hitting her cheek or just mashing it with her palm and licking her fingers. Um, and we were really allowing her to learn the mechanics of swallowing um, and, and that kind of hand to mouth feeding. Um, she had, of course, been exposed to coconut oil prior because as early as really getting out of the hospital, I started applying coconut oil to my nipples for, mas to, for mastitis prevention. I never ended up getting mastitis and I hear it is not fun to deal with. So coconut oil having that monolaurin and uh, lauric acid as an antifungal, really supportive to prevent that yeast from, from breastfeeding. So I did that. Um, so she was of course eating that coconut milk as she was, coconut oil, excuse me, not milk, as she was drinking breast milk. 
she was getting coconut oil. Um, and then uh, I went right from avocado to wild salmon. And with the wild salmon, we used coconut oil and olive oil on top and black pepper. I think black pepper is a good compound to add early on to your children when you're providing dense proteins because it does enhance their hydrochloric acid. And this acidity is required to activate the digestive enzymes that help the body to break down proteins. So, you know, cracking that fresh cracked black pepper, we started doing right away at like the seventh month. Um, after salmon and avocado, we went to blueberries and then opened the world of berries. And then it was grass-fed burger before she had chicken or other forms of protein. And um, then we went to sweet potato cooked in coconut oil. At some point, egg yolk got brought in there and um, we've done some burger patties with liver for organ density. Um, but, but that's kind of been the flow. And she did really well with baby lead weaning. I had some first mom anxieties of, is she feeding herself enough? And my whole rest assurance was, I'm nourishing her with breastfeeding. She's getting everything she needs. Um, you know, one of the primary concerns is iron. And what I would say clearly, regardless of what kind of eating style you go forward with with your babe, um, I am not a proponent of baby cereals, regardless of whether it's a rice cereal or an oatmeal cereal. Um, not only is it tend to be force fed, you know, I, I hate watching moms kind of like scraping the cheek and just shoving it in the baby's mm -hmm. mouth. The baby's like, Ugh, like it's coming out of nowhere. <laughs> They're not even ready for the bite. The mom's like on her phone, just <laughs> squeezing that food in there. Um, I really allow, I like that again, the child kind of leading the process, but really with the baby cereals, the concern is that they're all fortified. So that iron, of course, is not coming from the grain. It's a synthetic enriched iron, and it's also synthetically enriched with B vitamins, which means that there's folic acid, not good for those that deal with methylation issues. Um, so I like to avoid those synthetic enriched foods. And that comes with any product really that when you turn the label and you start to read that ingredient list and it starts to go into gibberish, a lot of that is going to start some synthetic re-enrichment. So a lot of these like Gerber teethers and these, these carb processed foods that are dyed with sweet potato or have kale as a hint of, you know, color <laughs> in those veggie straws. Those are carbs guys. Those are potato chips. Um, laced in a powder of a color from a phytocompound and likely synthetically enriched with industrialized oils. So don't go there. Um, but if you need to do purees, you know, potentially consider mashing in breast milk and, you know, be mindful again with the pace and strategy that your child is different and your child has the intuition to nourish themselves and survive. And it should all work out. Totally. Such good advice. Um, episode 124 was being a taste adventurer. Okay. So you covered a little bit more for like, you know, even through like young teenage years, um, kind of getting kids to explore their palate a little bit more and refine their palate if they're kind of already on the, the junk food train and, and um, also covered how um, you introduced foods to Stella beyond the initial introductions of baby led weaning. Cool. Awesome. So that's a great resource as well. Yes. 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 All right. How about this one from Sarah underscore Fox dot 83. What about supplements and or keto for kids? Okay. So supplements for kids. Um, I already named the kids biotic, which woohoo. Um, so that's a fantastic probiotic. As I mentioned, the multi-avail kids is a fabulous micronutrient support better than any gummy you're going to get out there. Um, it is an orange flavored chewable tablet. 
Um, and it does have, like I said, some of that minerality, like um, reminiscent of like the old school Flintstone vitamins. <laughs> you will get that B vitamin taste and the, the iron, but all of the nutrients in there are in the most bioavailable form. So we're talking about methylated B vitamins. We're talking about chelated minerals um, and a really great insurance policy for your child's growth, development, concentration, focus, um, really a, a bar none tool. So every morning at breakfast, Stella takes two multi-avail kids and two kids biotic. And then we might increase some of those based on her intake or based on her level of immune stress or you know what's going on in her body. The other couple of supplements that I would say are definitely appropriate for kids, but not marketed exclusively to kids are the grass-fed whey. So the naturally nourished grass-fed whey provides a non-denatured way. That means that the uh, milk is extracted at a low heat. This does remove the casein, which is that pro-inflammatory part of dairy that I demonize in the anti-anxiety diet because that can cause that um, addictive tendency and irritability and inflammation. So it is casein-free. It's also lactose-free if the child deals with some dairy intolerance, but it has immunoglobulins in it and it has glutathione in it. So if we're talking about supporting the child's ability to detox, if we're talking about supporting the child's gut integrity or preventing against leaky gut, if we're talking about creating more immune resilience to anything from cold, flu, virus, um, as well as autoimmune function, uh, the grass-fed way is a really great foundational tool. And whey is the most bioavailable protein, meaning it's easiest for the body to absorb and use. And so many children um, have difficulty getting in their optimal protein intake, whether that's just based on them being bombarded by carbs or maybe not having the palate for more of the savory flavor profiles. And this is where the grass-fed whey can really work favorably as like a morning out the door um, breakfast option or an after-school snack as a way to really get almost, you can get 50% of your kiddos protein needs in a scoop of the grass-fed whey, depending on age and size, of course, <laughs> but probably going to get about 50% of their protein needs, which is super important for growth development and also those amino acids that play a role as neurotransmitters. So if the child is starting to deal with concentration or focus issues or ADHD type stuff, this is a great first line intervention once you've covered the bases of the multi-avail kids and the kids biotic. Totally. And that way also, I know you use it a lot in like baked goods, almond flour, muffins, totally. protein pancakes, things like that. So another way to ramp it up, maybe it won't be as concentrated as a, a smoothie, but definitely a way to rest assured that you're getting enough protein into your little one. Absolutely. And when you do blend your smoothie, make sure you blend your smoothie first and then you add in yes. that scoop of whey and just voop, just do a real quick blip in the blender. Um, because it is non-denatured whey, it doesn't have any binders or fillers or additives. So it will create a fluffy, foamy head. It doesn't have that weight to it like a processed whey would or an isolate would. Yuck. Um, so it's, it's, this is favorable, but you might not want that foam. So just make sure you just kind of, you could stir it in or just blend it in for a moment and then you'll get a really nice uh, texture. And then the last two supplements I would say that are safe for kids, and I guess this is kind of going to go into the next question and then I'll answer the keto element, okay. um, is uh, Low Carb Cupboard asked, uh, how do you help your young child, age seven, uh, cope with anxiety? So I'll kind of answer the supplement element of that and then I'll go diet for all of the things. So 
Um, all of those would be great tools for the anxiety as far as the, the beginning points of the multi-avail kids and the kids biotic. Um, but relax and regulate, which is our top selling supplement of the naturally nourished line and something that Becky and I would not think to live without. Um, the relax and regulate is a blend of magnesium bisglycinate, and myo-inositol. And these two compounds help to relax the neuromuscular system. So when there's tension, um, this is also appropriate if a child is dealing with constipation because often that's nerves holding their belly bound. Um, this can be used to disengage any of those uh, stress points. So in adults, often it's things like clenching in the jaw or the upper neck and shoulders. Um, and that inositol is an anxiolytic or an anti-anxiety compound that helps the body to feel safe. Um, so really great to do a scoop of that in the evening, especially if they're dealing with like uh, bad dreams or waking in the middle of the night or depth, uh, difficulty of getting into a deep restful sleep or winding down at night. And then GABA Calm is one that you can play with as well. Um, I've definitely used GABA Calm with Stella on multiple occasions. Um, flying to Hawaii <laughs> was one. Uh -huh. sure. That's a long <laughs> flight um, at age two and a half. And so, yeah, you know, GABA Calm, just like as we use that for acute anxiety, I definitely work with kids clinically where the mom will provide a GABA Calm at breakfast and even send one in lunch. Um, and the children do notice, they'll call that like, oh, my GABA Calm pill or my magic relaxer. Um, they definitely notice as adults do that direct feedback of that oh, steam train valve release of GABA really taking out that white knuckle stress response. So if they're feeling fidgety or they're really dealing with anxiety and not feeling safe and sound in their body, relax and regulate and GABA calm are fantastic tools. And then the Calm and Clear supplement, which um, is another one that I talk about all the time, is safe um, once you achieve 40 pounds. So that generally means ages six and up. Um, and you know, if it's 38 pounds, whatever, it's right there. But at 40 pounds, um, three capsules a day is totally appropriate. So that'd be something you could work with as well. Cool. Um, and then the other part here that I want to make sure we cover, and this will yeah. take us back to Sarah's question or Sarah Fox. Um, let's talk about blood sugar regulation, how that ties into anxiety and behavior, and then whether we need to be as restrictive as keto for kids or whether there's a little bit more flex there. Love it. Yes. So um, I kind of talked about in my metabolic flexibility episode, which was something in the 140s. Um, you know, we have to take into account this idea of yes, there is magic in the ability of using ketones as fuel. And we all want to have access to that. I, I really believe that strongly. So keto the production of ketone bodies in children is a very safe thing. Now, restricting your child to a classic ketogenic diet of like one modeling a four to one, um, you know, of fat to carbon protein combined ratio that you would use for like epilepsy or neurological conditions, that is likely not necessary for your child to benefit from being able to be a hybrid machine using both glucose and ketones. Um, you know, the body makes ketones based in carbohydrate restriction, time without fuel, or based on the metabolic burn. And kiddos are significantly more metabolically active than sedentary adults, right? And so a child very often will be able to produce ketones with taking in still two fruit servings and a starchy vegetable serving. And so feeding your child more of like a paleo approach of a diet, um, which you may choose to do grain-free to reduce that gut inflammation. Um, that's what we do in my household. Um, more of like a paleo approach can be totally appropriate. And likely that means that they still are getting the benefit of ketones. 
And all of it comes down to blood sugar regulation because whenever I'm dealing with a child that is um, having any chronic illness or neurological condition or health issue, the number one thing to start focusing on is blood sugar control because the, those blood sugar roller coaster ups and lows drive irritability, short fuse, <laughs> crankiness, <laughs> um, tantrums, all of the things, as well as a disservice to the body's metabolism and likely nutrient density because those high carb foods are likely you know, devoid of real bioavailable nutrients. Um, so really before I go as strict as like gluten-free, dairy-free, which is like the next level, I generally go blood sugar control, which means no naked carbs. Every time the child has a carb, they have to pair that with a protein or a healthy fat. Overall, ensure that they're getting their protein needs. So try to incorporate a protein every time they eat, or at least the majority of the times, and um, fuel with healthy fats. And if you are doing that and you're using whole food forms of carbohydrates, I generally would not be worried about anything tighter than that. Um, and then I would layer in supplements and then I would go to that, you know, gluten-free, dairy-free as kind of the third level of offense, especially if you're, you're looking for kind of tight control. Totally. And once they've got that foundational stuff in play, they're probably not going to throw as much of a tantrum when you take that stuff away from them. Or notice. Um, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I mean, when you're providing them the foundation of the nutrients with the multivalent kids, they're going to be happier because they're making more serotonin and they're, you know, feeling satiated, they're fed, they're fueled and their body says, Oh, this feels good. Yep. Yep. Awesome. All right. Now a question I think people might be holding their breath for. I know Mary Decker who asked this, I believe via email has been waiting a while for us to um, talk about it on the air. So we're going to talk about vaccines, guys. Here we go. Uh, yes. <laughs> Hi, Allie. I greatly appreciate your bravery in speaking honestly about your choice not to vaccinate Stella based on her individual makeup. As you may know, choice in this matter is slowly being taken away from so many. Our body autonomy and medical freedom are being threatened. If you could speak to people about this matter, what would you say? Is it a matter of pro versus anti? Could you be pro-choice, pro-body autonomy, pro-medical freedom? Thanks for all you do. All right, Mary. Now, disclaimer, this could be an entire episode. And I think it needs to be. I'm, I'm just honestly, full transparency, a little fearful because this is such a polarizing topic and I don't want to deal with hate mail. Totally. <laughs> yep. It's yep. like I dealt with enough shit with the uh, celery juice thing and the medium, <laughs> you know, people. So gracious, but I'm gonna do it, Mary. And and I, I think that there are more resources we can share. I don't have time in this answer to go through supporting vaccine protocols with nutrient strategy and whatnot. But I can at least layer and, and foundation a little bit, and then and then we'll see how I can fit it back in again. But my answer would be that, yeah, it's all about body autonomy. Um, and I absolutely acknowledge on the forefront that vaccines have served to benefit public health, um, have served to eradicate disease, and definitely have their place in the medical field. Um, now, anytime we look at anything, you know, whether it's something in the diet, whether it's anything we're putting in our bodies or on our bodies and or taking, 
we should always understand what is the mechanism of action. So how does this thing work or what does this do <laughs> to get mm -hmm. that outcome? And it's, it's also important to ask what is the, the base risk of, of the host or the, the receiver, the individual getting that vaccine, as well as what is the risk of the disease that you're trying to, or, or virus that you're trying to prevent using this vaccine. Okay, so I, I kind of take like three different elements of consideration. So let's first unpack the mechanism. So a vaccine works essentially by training the immune system to recognize and combat pathogens. So these are either viruses or bacteria, and these molecules from pathogens have to be introduced into the body to trigger, and you mind the word trigger, to trigger an immune response. And um, these antigens or, or molecules essentially are gonna be present on all forms of viruses and bacteria. And there can be a live or a dormant vaccine that's you know, used with the child. Now, adjuvants are used within the vaccine in addition to that antigen of, of the virus or bacteria. An adjuvant is gonna be a pharmacological or immunological agent that modifies the effect of other agents. And adjuvants are added to vaccines to kind of scramble or shake up the immune. Basically, they boost the immune response to promote more antibodies and longer lasting immunity, um, which likely minimizes the dose of the antigen or the pathogen or bacteria or virus that's needed. Now, the big push that was anti-vax was that a lot of the adjuvants being used were mercury and still a lot of them are aluminum. Um, a lot of times a metal alloy is used and basically the idea is to give with that antigen or virus or bacteria something that distresses the immune system and is seen as a toxic burden so that the immune system goes into whoop, kind of freak out mode and really identifies all of the compounds. Now, when we're talking about that mechanism, that can also, the number one concern is neurological effects because a lot of the adjuvants that are used will create neurological stress that even we can see as side effects on the manufacturer drive seizures, speech impairment, um, neurological dysfunction as far as um, hemiplegic or paralysis of sorts. Um, we can see onset of autoimmune activity as the immune system goes into that permanent freakout mode and starts to auto attack a, a healthy tissue in itself. Um, and then we can definitely see argument for gut permeability. So those are kind of the, the concerns within that mechanism. Should I break or am I good? We good? I think we're good. I think we're still following along, or at least okay. I am. <laughs> <laughs> so now let's go on to the second thing to consider is the risk of the individual. So when we're talking about the risk of the individual, we want to know about what is the microbiome, what is the immune function, what is the detox function. So microbiome, was this child um, vaginally birthed or cesarean? We know medical research shows that cesarean birth children have less of a diverse and less of a healthy microbiome, and they're more prone towards allergies, towards respiratory stress, um, also food sensitivities and immune conditions, as well as digestive conditions. So that's a big piece of the puzzle, was the child cesarean or vaginally birthed? Um, also, how long were they breastfed? That's the other inoculation of good bacteria for the microbiome. Uh, we can think about, does the child take a probiotic, which is a great way to support resilience to vaccines, right? Um, on detox function, I like to think about things like, does this child have any genetic mutations or SNPs on their primary detox um, 
genes. So thinking of things like MTHFR or GST1, you can run with a buccal swab, which is a cheek swab, your child's genetic as early as weeks old because it's just the saliva. They don't have to spit in a tube yet. Um, and that's what I did with Stella um, because I knew already she was emergency C-section. I wrote off any vaccines to be done immediately. I um, purchased my own vitamin K injection. I did do a vitamin K injection, but I controlled what was used and what additives were in the vitamin K itself. And then I waited on genetics to make this decision. Um, and then the other things to consider is, is the child immune compromised or are they dealing with known nutrient deficiencies? Like if they have issues with growth and development and um, their hair is falling out and X, Y, Z, they're likely in such a stressed state that that could be that, that um, something that breaks the camel's back. What's the phrase? Straw. <laughs> the straw that breaks the camel's back. I was back. like yes. putting my fingers like a hay. I was trying to think of that word. Yeah. Yeah. That could be the straw <laughs> that, that breaks the camel's back. So we'd want to think about that in those susceptible individuals. So risk is a big thing to consider. And then also the risk of the condition. So most definitely thing that you're vaccinating against, is that really a big risk? Let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, so a lot of the conditions that we are vaccinating for, um, and the numbers are widely elevated. Um, you know, some studies show from the 1960s, a range of three to five doses of vaccines. And in 2018, we were looking at 72 to 76. That's huge. And just in uh -huh. the 80s, so I'm talking to you as, a, as an 80s baby. And um, uh, 24 were dosed to us. So 24 to 76 is a huge influx. Um, and if you do look at compelling studies that show correlation, which is not causation, I will say clearly, but correlation does show neurological disease conditions increasing at rapid rates as vaccines have increased. Um, so we have to be mindful of these things. Again, I'm not taking a broad anti-vax statement. I'm taking a mom protecting my child's risk factor statement. And the risk of the condition, if we're talking about, again, children of the 80s, uh, viricella, which is the chickenpox vaccine, or the flu vaccine that right now by the CDC is recommended annually to babies, through toddlers, through kids, this is something that all of us have contracted and, and lived with. And we're talking about fever and dermatitis. And yes, there can be some gastrointestinal stress. And yes, some people do die from these conditions, but these are nutritionally compromised, immune compromised individuals that don't have access to quality food and resources. Um, you know, chicken pox, many of us, it's uncomfortable, it's itchy, but you cope with it. And um, so for me, when I'm looking at a flu shot that has 40% efficacy, and a potential risk factor, and I know how to support my child's body, who she just did kick the flu's butt um, and had a week-long stint. And yes, she did have fevers of 104.5 at times. And yes, that did make me take a GABA calm. <laughs> um, she got through it, and her immune system was able to learn in the same way of the introduction of a pathogen or virus, identifying it, actually fighting it the slow way instead of that shock to her system way, and her body is not going to be immune compromised. Her body's going to be more resilient from working that process. So we have to question to ourselves, 
you know, what are we combating against? And maybe we want to cherry pick some of the vaccines that we're, that we're providing. So if I was to travel in a place that was rampant with hepatitis, I probably would look at a vaccine plan for Stella if I was taking her there and work with, you know, liposomal vitamin C and glutathione and mega dosing her probiotics and working with my GI lining support and my detox packs and helping her body to process the adjuvants, knowing her genetic position, knowing her risk factors, but knowing that the risk of her getting an inflamed liver for life is likely not beneficial and I'll take that risk of the vaccine. Um, so we have to constantly weigh these out. Um, last food for thought I want to say in consideration is that it takes two years for the gut integrity to really be completely formed um, and developed and closed, that microvilli to really seal. So that's why I always say with feeding your babies, keep them grain-free at least until age two, and then you can decide to kind of liberalize the diet as you see fit in your household. Um, same thing, you might decide that you want to do a delayed vaccine plan. You might decide that you wait until two years. Now, if your child has to be in daycare full-time, you might want to bump that a little earlier, and that's your personal decision, but that's another fact to consider as as far as gut integrity, immune function, and microbiome. And a great resource out there is uh, Dr. Sears' book that he came out with in 2007, The Vaccine Book, Alternative Vaccine Schedule. Um, I have requested to get him on, and I'll try again now that this is in my wheelhouse. Um, and um, he just has a really, a really great approach and plan. And I had that planned out and printed in my binder to go forward with Stella, even knowing her genetics and microbiome. But it was my functional practitioner um, that told me that really the plan was with Stella to avoid as best completely. Um, and it was my plan to wait until she was three months or, you know, maybe at 20 pounds and 10 months, I was going to maybe start some level of vaccines. And I've decided against it because I'm working hand in hand with my team and um, I'm feeling good about the choice. Totally. And you're empowered with all that data and information. And you've brought in kind of this, you know, objective observer who's well-researched in this area. So, you know, if, if that is of concern, definitely doing your due diligence and working with a practitioner who has a really good functional understanding of pediatrics. Um, we had Dr. Emily Gutierrez on the podcast episode one, some, I don't know which one. <laughs> I don't remember. ADD I thought it was like yeah, um, We didn't touch vaccines with her, but um, definitely resources out there of functional pediatric um, specialists who can help you navigate this decision. Absolutely. So that's my end all be all. Take those three considerations, weigh them out, work with your healthcare team and, um, you know, empower yourself with the, the mechanism of action, the status of your child and the risk factors associated with the condition that you're vaccinating for. Okay. I think that was a very balanced approach. We shouldn't get too much, <laughs> too much hate mail. I'm not going to put um, hashtag anti-vax on the podcast oh, promo for this episode. Thank you. <laughs> I promise. You. Um, let's cover this one because we're still kind of in the same vein of kiddos and immune health. So this was from zero underscore M. My big focus right now is trying to make sure my almost 12 month year old stays healthy. Any advice on maybe what to feed or supplements to add to my child's diet to lessen the chance of her getting sick from daycare kiddos? She just started attending at the end of last week. And any advice on what to feed kids this age? If you have time, she eats a lot of avocados, grass-fed beef, and eggs. Awesome. So I think I kind of fit, hit the the food stuff earlier, Ciro. So definitely, I think I hit that. Um, as far as immune support, additionally, and kind of lifestyle and supplement. 
you could, I think that's a great suggestion, Becky. You could absolutely crush up at one year. Once you hit 20 pounds, you could do one tablet, which is 5,000 CFUs of the um, baby, what is it called? Kids biotic. Kids biotic. Yeah. Kids biotic. (laughs) Um, So that could be appropriate for your 12 month old, most definitely. Um, And you could just mix that in with a spoonful of something, whether that's applesauce or yogurt of choice or mashed into your avocado or into a smoothie bite. All that would work really beautifully. Um, Elderberry syrup. Now I want to make a note here. Make sure when you're selecting your elderberry syrup that it actually has a effective dosage of the active compound. Um, we're usually looking for like two grams as an effective dose. And so the brand that I use is Gaia. We'll put a link in the show notes for my Amazon store and it's the like extra strength Gaia. You can do a quarter teaspoon at one year of age, once or twice a day at onset or risk factor. So if we're getting gunky and green, that's a good time to to pump in the elderberry. But I will say the elderberry is to use acutely and pulse in, otherwise its efficacy is reduced. It's not something to take foundationally on a daily level. Um, And then vitamin D, definitely at this point, you should be doing about 800 IUs. Um, You can use vitamin D drops. I will say, I think we're coming out with the vitamin D K2, K1 blend for kids. (laughs) Yes. But for now, we'll link one that that doesn't have the K in it. Um, But I I haven't found one yet to date for kiddos with K. Um, But you can do just like a vitamin D drop that you're doing um, up to 8,000 IU, excuse me, 800 IUs is the baseline, but you can double or triple this dosage for acute periods of time, like three to five days. Um, And then work with ensuring that the nasal passage stays moist. So using like a humidifier in the room, um, you can add inhalants of essential oils in there. Just don't keep it close to the crib, put it at least six feet away. Um, But you can use things like uh, rosemary, you can use thieves oil, you can use um, all sorts of uh, compounds that are antiviral, antimicrobial, and you can learn more about those in um, my episode 68, Supporting Your Immune System Naturally. Um, And then I'm all about the, the Frida the nose sucker, um, which we've talked about that on the podcast where Byron was trying to figure out where it goes and what it does. Uh-huh. Um, you know which one I never did, and that's because probably I've had Stella on awesome probiotics all of her life, is the one for gas. There's one of those that you that you put by the child's booty and you suck out. Oh. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all exciting things. So much to yeah. learn. <laughs> I know. But the nose freed is fantastic. Um, and teaching your children at an early age to blow out their snot versus suck it in because that's like the number one cause of ear infection is that congestion. And ear infections are the number one cause of antibiotic use, which is just can create a total cascade. Um, so the last thing I'll say is the um, olive oil and garlic mullein ear drops. Those are also fantastic. You can use those proactive and also reactive for a low-grade ear infection to actually treat it without having to use antibiotics. Awesome. And then in that same vein, um, let's just hit on any specifics of diet for an immune hit, do's and don'ts, and a little bit about, um, I know you mentioned Stella's fever. So give us a little bit of your, um, beyond you taking Gabacom (laughs) to just kind of manage and and wait it out. Um, Anything that you did with her pulsed up on? Yeah. So I think a biggest uh, issue is that 
as parents, we, we were like, oh no, they need to eat something. And we try to kind of force feed. Um, so the immune system really performs best in that process of autophagy, right? Which is like a cellular inventory and cleanup when it's in a fasted state. Um, so the first day that Stella's fever was really spiking, um, I really think she had a total of like three bites of things all day. Um, we were really just kind of watching her hydration, but not forcing her much to drink, but yet I was managing and monitoring her intake of fluids and also her output of urine. So that's something to definitely do. You want your child to urinate at least four times throughout a 24 hour window. Um, and so you can watch for output of urine. You can encourage that. There was one day she had only peed three times, I think. And then I like freaked out <laughs> and when I was like backtracking with Brady, I was like, wait, so she didn't pee with you. Oh my gosh. Uh, like made her drink a bunch at night and then she peed in the middle of the night, which is fine. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you can ensure and monitor hydration that way. Um, let the fever do its thing. Let the fever run its course. I um, read an article by Seattle Pediatrics that even talked about the fever-induced seizures and how they've shown in research no delays in speech, no neurological influence, and um, you know no impairment. Um, and so although they say that that's very scary to watch, that it, it's not a harmful process of the immune system. And really the big thing we don't want to do is cut the fever, which the fever is the immune system going into battle. That's one of the primary mechanisms of inflammation for the immune system to actually combat the pathogen, the virus or bacteria. Um, so if you give your child you know, an NSAID like Motrin or whatnot, ibuprofen, you're cutting that fever. Yeah, you are maybe managing their pain and, and managing their comfort to some level, but you're also cutting their most dynamic immune defense. Um, so that can create more of a prolonged virus or prolonged bacteria. Um, I've heard that this uh, flu has taken some kids out 10 plus days and Stella was a solid six. Um, so I think that uh, her letting her kind of run those fevers. Now she wasn't in severe pain. So we just did like sponge baths and technically she was like standing up crying and I was just kind of <laughs> patting her with the washcloth because everything feels so cold, you know, yeah. even the room temp water. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't an enjoyable process, but just a lot of rest. And, um, I definitely let her have more screen time than normal. Yeah. Brady's like, chill out, mom. I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, he's like, what did you do when you were sick? I was like, okay, fair. And That's she part of being sick. I know. She also <laughs> did get some naked carbs. Now you do want to watch blood sugar control because when blood sugar spikes, the immune system does reduce its functionality. But Stella did have, um, a couple licks. She never had more than half of a full popsicle, but some of those like real fruit, whatever popsicles, just to get something in when she wouldn't drink her water um, for that hydration priority. Um, when she was able to drink like smoothies, um, I did that pretty early on with grass-fed whey for those immunoglobulins, like I said. Um, and then we added in just things like nut butter and, um, she did a lot of, uh, bacon actually, which I was like, oh, she's getting her electrolytes. Yeah, potassium. potassium. Good uh -huh. job, Stealth. So I was good with that. <laughs> So I think that was her first day when she ate like nothing. She had a, a slice and a half of bacon all day and water. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just would say don't force feed. And then the last thing on um, fever management, definitely avoid Tylenol. I don't know why it's at all available for babies and toddlers. And especially never give Tylenol after a vaccine if your child spikes a fever 
because Tylenol impairs glutathione levels and glutathione is that primary detoxifying antioxidant in the liver. Um, and so we've actually seen like Tylenol induced liver failure. Again, the liver is going in overdrive during an immune time of stress, especially if there's an adjuvant used in a vaccine. Um, and so we nef never want to use Tylenol to cut vaccine fevers. And I probably wouldn't use a Tylenol to cut a fever period. You're better off using an NSAID if need be but NSAIDs can wreak havoc on the gut and interfere with the immune process. So really, NSAIDs should only be used for the comfort of your child if they're in really serious pain. Okay. I think some really awesome takeaways there. One of them being just kind of watch and monitor and observe. And Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were times we were taking her, her temperature maybe 12, 15 times a day, sure. you know, and, um, when her fever was up or I could feel her heart rate was definitely increased. And so uh, it's just making them feel safe and calm is really yeah. the, the biggest priority and, and letting them know that their body's doing a lot of work and that they just need to rest. Awesome. All right. So getting into maybe a little more on immune support with these next couple, um, but out of just kids um, stuff for those listeners that don't have kiddos or this doesn't apply. Um, K2 Klein asked, seasonal allergies. My kids, as well as many of their friends and parents, suffer from seasonal or airborne allergies. What's the best food as medicine approach to addressing them? So I guess let's cover for kiddos and then for adults. Okay. So, um, well, really, I feel like the, the kiddos one, as far as airborne, you could layer in, um, I didn't talk about nasal spray yet. There is, um, xylitol nasal spray, which is fantastic. So same kind of concept of keeping things hydrated, um, versus dry. That's going to help to move things and allow mucus formation. Um, there is, it's called X clear. It's just basically a xylitol nasal spray. And y'all know, I don't like sugar alcohols in my foods and food products. Um, but again, as I talked about in a past episode with Gabacalm, um, that's why we do have a sugar alcohol in the Gabacalm because it is anti-cariogenic, meaning it fights against cavities. So this is something that you could chew in the middle of the night and all of those reasons. Um, but with the nasal spray, it does have some immune support as well um, as kind of clearing pathogen that could be uh, held up. Um, and then within the allergy space, kind of similar mechanism, right? If there was just pollen debris buildup, the xylitol can move that. Um, and that's easier than like a neti pot for little kids. Um, adults could use a neti pot as well. And with a neti pot, you have more flexibility where you can open a probiotic capsule or, you know, add colloidal silver and things like that. Um, so directly getting in the nasal passage is important. And then, um, Cellular antiox is my kind of go-to. That's the uh, S-acetylglutathione and, and NAC in our line um, with B6, and that helps with upper respiratory function and also kind of clearing this buildup. It also supports, of course, detoxification, so all that debris. Um, you can definitely open those capsules, and those can be given to kids, um, just would be depending on dose based on weight. Um, vitamin D and ensuring that that's optimized for upper respiratory function and inhalant function. Um, at least 5,000 I use, so my vitamin D balance blend capsule would be great for adults. Um, and then the BioC Plus, what's magic about that formula is it doesn't, it not only has the vitamin C in a good dosage, 600 milligrams per capsule, but it provides quercetin and bioflavonoids, the antioxidants in the citrus. Um, that reduce inflammation and reduce histamine activity in the body. 
And if we're thinking on histamine, um, we may want to check into the function of our adrenals and maybe add in some adrenal support if we know we're also dealing with chronic fatigue, um, because that's a big one um, where you know cortisol, when it, when it lowers in the body, cortisol is an antihistamine. So getting that glandular to support the cortisol optimization should block that excessive histamine response in the body. Totally. So a, a lot there. And then food-wise, I would say raw and filtered honey is still kind of my go-to. Raw and filtered honey and bone broth are, you know, just kind of the bee's knees for for supporting that upper nasal gastric area. Awesome, awesome. All right. This one from Missy Girl74. I just had to have two rounds of antibiotics for an infected root canal. How to restore my gut. And if you want to speak to your recent dental yeah, procedures was, as well within this question. How timely of you, Missy Girl 74. Yes. <laughs> I put up a IGTV video last week all about my personal updates with my dental stuff. So I'm not going to bore you guys with that, but you can go on to my Instagram TV and it's literally called like dental support and Allie's updates. Um, but big picture, yeah, you know, root canals are at high risk because we're creating anaerobic, we're creating that, um, anaerobic bacteria because we're sealing an infection, right? So the goal is ensuring that the dentist got all that infection out before they seal and often when they abscess or when they get, um, infected again, it's because that, that wasn't really fully eradicated. And at that point you really want to weigh out if it's better to just get a tooth extraction. Um, so be mindful of that in theory, but, uh, if you've been on two rounds of antibiotics for any reason, right. Or antibiotics in general, it would be really important to support your gut integrity. So your gut lining using the GI lining support, you can do a scoop at bed and then you can always increase that if you're experiencing any rawness in the digestive tract, or if you're dealing with heartburn, um, all of that um, would be a sign of that irritation from this sterility. So you can always increase that GI lining to kind of coat and soothe the tissue. Food forms for that same mechanism would be bone broth, collagen, and gelatin. And then um, as far as probiotic rebuilding, there is actually a bundle called the Gut Rebuild Bundle. Um, and that is what we use after the Beat the Bloat Cleanse. So that has the phytofiber for the bacteria to, to kind of stick to, to feed and focus as a prebiotic. Um, then that has the Rebuild Spectrum Probiotic, which is the green probiotic in my line. Um, this has the Saccharomyces boulardii, which is that antifungal compound, as well as a broad uh, spectrum of eight different strains. Um, great to reset after a dynamic sterile impact after any antibiotic, you want to take that rebuild spectrum. And then it has the um, baseline restore probiotic that you can dose dependent, whether you take two a day or one a day in the beginning and then go up to two or three or do that probiotic challenge to see where your gut is at after um, and see if you need that targeted strength. Um, so the gut rebuild bundle would be a great approach or at least make sure that you get the rebuild spectrum and either the baseline restore or the targeted strength based on um, if you're dealing with gut distress, bloating, distension, depression, anxiety, or any of that gunk that can happen when your microbiome is off. Totally. Any big takeaways from your dental procedures? 
I'm still just on the IG, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm still kind of just riding the waves. I talked a lot about, you know, like biofilms and um, the big thing that I watch in the oral cavity, just like anything, Um, you know, we've seen in research that like triclosan and all these antibiotics that are used in our hand soaps. And now in a lot of our like oral hygiene from, you know, the main brand toothpastes to Listerine mouthwash and so forth, right? Um, they're just killers. They're just sterilizers. And just like the gut, you know, we need to work in symphony and balance with our microbiome. Otherwise, those resistant negative guys are going to take over. And that's where we really continue to see an increase, I believe, of periodontal disease, even as oral hygiene rates have maintained because the products have changed and the compounds in them have become so sterilizing. Um, So really thinking of more of the botanical players, which work more harmonious in the body, um, like tea tree oil and um, working with oregano oil and those types of antimicrobials in your oral products are going to be much uh, more appropriate for, for long-term gum and, um, oral health. I just started using an essential oil based toothpaste actually that someone sent me and I was like, this is kind of nice. It feels really Ooh. fresh. Cool. <laughs> it's cool. got some like oregano in there and all the things. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Before we go any further, we're going to get into a few rapid fire questions after this, but I want to take some time to talk about our mid-roll sponsor for today's episode, Wild Foods. So Wild Foods is a company that puts quality, sustainability, and health first in all of their products. And these guys have everything from coffee to turmeric to medicinal mushrooms. And I love that every single product is painstakingly sourced from small farms around the world. So they've taken their mission really seriously to fix the broken food system and like us believe that real food is medicine. And they have partnered with us to give you guys an exclusive discount. If you use the code Allie Miller RD, you'll get 12% off your wild foods order. Awesome. So I've switched up today's mid-roll ad to talk about a couple new products and then we'll talk about some that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, but I love seeing all of your Instagram posts and tagging and it looks like y'all are having so much fun with definitely the cocotropics and their matcha and such. So the first new thing I want to talk about on wildfoods.co is their wild coal, which is activated charcoal along the vein of all of these things like virus and pathogen and whatnot. Um, This is actually made from 100% organic coconuts, which is awesome. And it's a great tool to use acutely, meaning only pulsing in, not as a daily, but something great to have in your travel bag if you do get a foodborne illness like a gut pathogen um, or during international travel or definitely could be used if you are getting like a flu shot and you want to kind of chelate any of that toxicity in your body. Um, This would be a great thing to support that trapping and removal of anything that is toxic in the body. So some people will use this like after a long night of drinking. Um, I definitely just say watch out for electrolyte stability, but it's a great source to have that activated charcoal and know that it's sourced from organic coconuts. they, we talked about their wild cacao butter wafers in past episodes and how we can use these as a dairy-free alternate to fat-fueled coffee. But I also want to call out their cacao nibs, which Becky used a couple of with her chocolate-dipped strawberries, I it did. looks like. Yes. 
So this is actually, you know, the raw form of the cacao pod, what chocolate is made out of. You're going to get the fiber in there. You're going to get the fermented probiotics of a raw cacao nib. Did you know there were probiotics in chocolate? Um, and you also are going to get a lot of the mineral density and antioxidant capacity. So I love to to put these crunchy nibs um, on topping of things like on my dairy-free yogurt or on top of a smoothie um, or to just kind of crunch them with some nut butter as a midday snack with some coarse salt. Fantastic to have a direct source for that. Um, their wild matcha is fabulous as well. Um, like I said, I'm a huge fan of matcha. You guys know I use it all the time. Um, when you ingest an entire tea leaf, which is matcha versus just sipping on green tea, you're going to get 100% of those nutrients that would otherwise be locked inside the tea and just dumped once your steeping is done. With matcha, you get to get all of that in your body and you're getting equal to 10 glasses of regular brewed green tea in its nutritional value and antioxidant capacity. And this is a ceremonial grade matcha, which is the highest quality, best flavor, least oxidized, and it's going to give you that sustained caffeine release over about four to six hours as opposed to a crash from a regular cup of coffee. Totally. And so much better than like off the shelf matcha that's been sitting there and oxidizing and it's not even green. Just anymore. getting on Amazon from who knows what. Exactly. Exactly. Not with your dollar. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then their tea blends. So they have these um, tea blends that are numbered one through 10 as loose leaf tea. Um, one that is super exciting to us. I haven't actually tried it yet, but maybe you have. Uh -huh. um, Cur bear, I think that's me. Yeah, right? like curcumin and berries. I'm guessing is what we're <laughs> current. <laughs> it's actually current. current oh, okay. And cranberries. So oh, I wanted cool. to highlight okay. this one. Yeah. Um, I'll talk about this one, and then you can talk about yeah. the cocotropics. Yeah. I wanted to highlight this one because I deal with so many women that deal with stubborn UTIs, right? And you know, drinking tart cherry juice and dark and tart cranberry juice isn't always the most appealing, especially for low carb individuals. Um, this is an awesome blend. It's a beautiful, rich, luxurious red color with hibiscus, elderberry, red currant, and cranberry. So I thought a very timely one to share because it's immune supportive. It has that compound to support bladder health um, from the cranberry and currant. Hibiscus supports blood pressure regulation. Um, so it's a great tea that's caffeine-free, awesome for any time, very potent, anti-inflammatory, giving you an awesome tang, that bitter alkaloid flavor. Um, and I have really enjoyed it iced as like a midday spritzer. Um, just, just super fun thing to add and also would help with that, um, health in the bladder. I love that. Totally not what I was thinking it was. So <laughs> I'm glad you clarified. <laughs> um, and then one more area of interest in the wild foods line is their adaptogenic mushrooms. Yes. So they sell these individually so that you can kind of blend your own tinctures, tonics, what have you, add them to your morning coffee or butter coffee routine. Um, and then they've got the Cocotropic Wild Superfood Elixir that I know we've talked about on here. And that is something that I have tried and can attest to that it is delicious. It's like a elevated hot cocoa, I would call it. Yeah, um, yeah. It blends really well into like a butter coffee. You could use it as a base um, in a protein shake to really ramp up your antioxidants and superfood intake. So it's got wild chocolate, reishi and chaga mushroom extracts, raw maca powder, and wild turmeric in there. 
Yeah. So great for that cognitive enhancement, concentration focus. Um, yeah. Go on over, check them out. Wildfoods.co, not .com. And put in the code AllieMillerRD at checkout and you'll get 12% off your order and let them know that you heard about them through the Naturally Nourished podcast when you use that code. So we always appreciate that. All right, let's do a couple rapid fire and we'll get on out of here. So this one from Granda 17 How do you feel about microwaves and do you use one in your household? Love your podcast. Well, thank you, Granda. Um, so let's talk a little bit about microwaves. It's funny because I just had someone DM me that's a dietetic intern. And she's like, I'm learning in my nutritional science classes that microwaves are the safest way to cook food, that they <laughs> deplete the least amount of nutrients. I um, remember that from like fact. food science lab. Yeah. Yeah. We had um, to it, cook everything in the microwave and like, it was gross. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, there are studies definitely that have shown that varied vegetables, you know, retain more nutrients or antioxidants from microwaving versus of course, something that incorporates water um, because a lot of these nutrients are water soluble. So if you steam or you boil, you will likely lose and release more of those nutrients. Um, but there have been studies on the controversy and, and we can link this one for sure. Cause I know people like to find our, our links, um, on the study that looked at a minute of microwaving, uh, garlic destroyed, uh, most of the cancer fighting compounds. And, um, that took upwards of 45 minutes in a conventional oven. So obviously that one minute microwaving did a big number. Um, we've also seen studies that show microwaving can decrease upwards of 97% of flavonoid antioxidants and broccoli whereas boiling only destroyed 66. Um, so not all nutrients are water soluble is kind of the name of the game. The big nutrient that you'll always see decline is vitamin C. And that's because it's you know very water soluble. Um, so big picture, I do not think that microwaving is the most nutrient dense way of cooking. Um, and what I don't like of it just on a personal level of taste and texture is the um, inconsistent heat disbursement, you know, like where like one bite's really hot and then something's cold and whatnot. Um, and on the radiation side of things, now to be fair, we're not looking at a level of like an ionizing radiation, like an X-ray or gamma ray or ultraviolet ray, right? Um, you know, we're looking at um, something that falls right around the radio wave level and even cell phones, same kind of area of, of radiation put out. Now, I think all radiation we should try to minimize, right? Um, and try to lower the frequency as best as practical and possible. So it's one way for me to do so in our household. Um, Brady does microwave his coffee because we do pour over coffee. We don't use a coffee. Um, we definitely don't use a Keurig, which is plastic pods and heat, and not good. Um, we also don't use even a coffee pot that, um, what is this called? Coffee pot brewer? I'm not very good at these rapid fire questions, mm -hmm. am I, Becky? <laughs> I'm going to make you go way faster. Coffee pot, like a, a whatever, coffee, coffee pot. pot. Yeah. They yeah, must have plastic like in them. plastic. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we do pour over in glass. And so he does zap his coffee midday if he wants another cup. But I don't use a microwave personally. And yes, we have one in our home. Um, if we didn't have one in the home that we bought, I don't believe that we'd be buying one. Put it that way. Um, I use the oven a lot. I use oven safe Pyrex, which is glass bowls to reheat foods um, all the time. Or I'll reheat something in a cast iron um, on my flame based stove, um, my gas stove. And I'll add a little bit of bone broth if I need liquid to kind of work in that reheat process. 
Totally. I'm in the same boat with you. The, I don't even remember the microwave is there most of the time. Yeah. Um, but I will say as a caveat, like Byron takes his lunch to work. He doesn't have the ability to reheat that really nutrient dense food that one of us made um, on like a, he doesn't have a little burner and a cast iron stove set up. Totally. So if, if it's a cost benefit of like doing that or like going out to eat in an area where there's not a lot of good quality food and you're going to get processed industrialized oils and stuff like that. I think in that case, if it's going to have you eating cleaner overall, and then you control what you can control in the home, make sure you're not microwaving in plastic right. um, or with any plastic anywhere near your food. I think that would be the time I'd make the exception. Absolutely. I would clearly agree with that. Um, you know, that we definitely microwaving wholesome homemade food is superior to eating out period. Yeah. Totally. Um, but, but I will say, you know, the point and the fact that like if, if we're not recommending microwaving breast milk because it can damage, you know, some of those probiotics and, and the HMO human, human milk oligosaccharides and whatnot, um, that's probably saying that there's enough scrambling of something that we want to be mindful. Totally. Yeah. All right. Now for real rapid fire. <laughs> you ready? I'm going to try. Yes. Okay. Cindy Ann Gilbert, Gilbert's, um, Gilbert, is pork broth as good for you as beef and chicken? Asking for a husband. And then I'm going to tack on a question because I think you can answer it in like one sentence or less from El Granda. Your thoughts on the powdered bone broths that are out there? Does it measure up to homemade or bona fide? Okay. So yes, pork broth is good for you if it's made in a traditional sense, meaning it's roasted bones. They're slow simmered for at least 24 hours. Um, they likely have an add-in of acid like apple cider vinegar to help to leach that gelatin and the mineralization from the bone. Absolutely. And it would make a really awesome umami savory broth for like a pho or like a fun play on, I don't know, like a Asian Korean profile. ramen or something. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. ramen with zucchini noodles we do. <laughs> totally. Totally. So yeah, it totally can be. And no, I don't like powdered bone broth. That's why you won't hear me talking about them. Um, you know, even if it's Anytime a company that I represent or I'm promoting, you will hear me talk about the products that I love that they put out there, right? And so I'm never going to give you misinformation of something that I don't personally do eat or consume within my household. Um, and so I just don't dig any of the, the dehydrated, dried broth products out there. I think that they remind me of, speaking of ramen, my college days. And yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I just can't do it. I don't think they're as therapeutic. Um, so they don't measure up to Bonafide. Bonafide Provisions is bar none, the best store-bought bone broth um, that's available on a national level. Um, and uh, you can always, uh, if you're purchasing that online in bulk, use the code AllieMillerRD and you will get savings through them for that. Um, and just doing broth homemade from scratch. You can listen to our podcast episode with Sharon from Bonafide and learn all about that. All right. One more question. Two yeah, more? I can do one. Okay. okay. Um, F Chesney 14 asked thoughts on flavored and unflavored seltzer, carbonated mineral water, etc. I crave it so much, but I have a nagging feeling it's not a great choice for some reason. Yeah. So, um, you know, the biggest thing I worry about with carbonated water is just the fact that it's adding, you know, carbonation, which can create bloating and distension and distress our digestive process. It can cause a little bit of indigestion, belching. It can go beyond just a flat water as far as um, diluting our stomach juices and acids. 
Um, so definitely I would say to try to keep the seltzer or sparkling water away from mealtime. That's more of like a segregated from mealtime um, as a replacement to alcohol or on a social level. Um, and then the flavored ones, the big thing is even those that say natural, uh, you know, the essence, is it still a corn derived compound? Um, you know, what's it sourcing? Could it be genetically modified? Could it be, is it natural necessarily? You know, um, so I'd like to kind of dig deep on those. And I don't think that those flavors because they tend to be hyper palatable, um, you know, like even the good brands, I'm sorry, Austin, because Waterloo's and Austin brand. Like I had a watermelon Waterloo and I was oh, like, this yeah. is a Jolly uh -uh. Rancher. Jolly Rancher. Yep. I haven't had a Jolly Rancher <laughs> in 20 years, but this tastes like a Jolly Rancher and there's nothing natural watermelon about that. Um, and I, it's a great brand, great company, but that's just not something that I want introduced to my palate when I'm trying to channel savory and help my body to love and appreciate natural whole foods. That's going to kind of mess with that script. So be mindful of any of those flavored compounds. Um, you're better off using citrus zest or you know anything from a whole food, like a fresh herb or a slice of an orange or something like that. But when you add those things, you're actually adding antioxidant capacity, keeping your palate more neutral, more real food focused. And the last thing I'll say on it is, if you are doing sparkling water, go for those that are in a glass bottle or do the soda stream where you're doing in small batch for yourself. And then you can always, you know, don't store it in the plastic, but you can mix it in that plastic and then transfer that to glass or just pour enough for yourself. That's definitely more sustainable environmental impact. You know, not as many glass bottles of Topo Chico or whatever, you know, down bouncing around. And I would avoid aluminum based cans from a daily practice because um, that's not good for neurological health. Totally. We are soda stream fans in our household. And then we just like juice a lemon or a lime in there and do that when I'm trying not to do wine in the evenings. Yeah. Yeah. Not throughout the day though. Right. Just kind of like that's like no, an just, just an evening, like yep. after dinner, an hour after. Or so if I'm like craving wine, but not opening a bottle for whatever reason. And, or instead of eating a snack, you know, yep. like if you yep. don't want to take in calories, but you just want something to kind of mix it up. Totally. Yep. So I think we did all of the things. I hope you all loved today's grab bag Q&A. If you are digging the Naturally Nourished podcast, please make sure that you go over to where you're listening, whether that is Spotify or iTunes or Google Play, and you leave us a five-star review and share with like a sentence is so helpful of why you're loving it. Um, also go on over to AllieMillerRD.com. That's where you can shop any of these supplement items that I've mentioned, including our two new formulas, Thyroid Optimum and the Kids Biotic. Um, that's also where you'll find the podcast resources that we mention always. And um, if you're enjoying listening, always tag us. Go on over on your Instagram or your Facebook. Take a shot of you listening to us. Tag at Allie Miller RD. Uh, sharing is caring. It's a great way to share the food is medicine movement with those you love and let us know that you care. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.